0: Have you checked out
1: the big podcast with Shaq here at Podcast One? Yeah, we talk basketball, but we're a lot more than
0: just sports. I met this fabulous lady. She uh, had to be in her seventies. Knew everything about me, knew
2: everything about sports. And the last thing she says, I love your podcast. And I'm wow. Like, you oh, but I hate that John. Here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's terrible.
1: Listen free to the big podcast with Shaq exclusively on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One.com, and the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Rue, your host, and so excited to have you with us for this episode. My guest, a long, long time ago, Real GM Radio guest, one of my favorites, Amin El-Hassan of ESPN. And the two of us talk about one of our favorite topics, which is the importance of ownership in the modern NBA. We go through it from a lot of perspectives. This is a conversation you will not hear many other places in terms of its depth or its candor. That's a big part of what I want to do with real jam radio and boy does Amin have some stories especially from his time working with the Phoenix Suns and we get into that you'll uh, there are things that I had never heard before that are a part of this conversation so that that's pretty exciting it is brought to you by betonline.ag if you use that podcast one promo code you get a 50% sign up bonus and true car great place to buy new and used cars this episode runs a little bit over an hour I think it's about an hour 10 and lots of great substance here as I said unique conversation in the podcasting world. So I, I'm really happy with
0: it. I hope you enjoy it as well. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, no, thanks for having me. It's been uh, in the works for a long time. I'm glad I finally could make it happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy that that this ended up happening because there's been a lot of discussion in recent times about the significance of ownership and... That's something that you and I have talked about for for years now, and yeah. when I was thinking, okay, I want to do a podcast to really delve into what makes a good owner, what makes a bad owner, I'm like, you know what, Amin's, Amin's really busy, he has a lot of great stuff on his plate, but this is something that, that he's passionate about, so I should reach out to him first, and then I was thrilled when you said yes.
0: Absolutely, man. Like it's It staggers me again and again, how people just kind of gloss over the fact why why things are the way they are with certain teams why success seems to follow certain teams around why failure seems to follow certain teams around and how they try to attribute credit or blame towards really minor bit players in this in this grand play or whatever uh you know production that's happening and uh like I, it's just it, it is definitely a passion point for me yes
1: and it makes sense because a part of both of our jobs is explaining why things are the way they are in the NBA, yep. and ownership is a hand in so many of those different things. And the, there are a lot of a lot of angles that I want to take this in. Uh, and I think the the first one is most owners. It does depend don't have a massive hand in the day-to-day decisions about, let's say, the personnel on their basketball team. Like, they're not sitting there going, you know, sign player X for $2 million, sign player Y or anything like that. There are many that have a voice Exceptions. in the process. Yeah. There, are, there yeah. are many that have a voice in the process. But that means that one of the most important decisions any owner makes is who they give that power to and how long do they give that person that power. And there are, and then also within that, like, you know, related, I talked about how most owners don't have a hand in every transaction, but how much of a hand do they have in it? And I think that's a good place to start in terms of thinking about this is the uh, the autonomy they give and who they give that autonomy to.
0: Right. So so this was I'm glad you brought that up because this is something I talked about today on the radio here in L.A. where uh, we were t- actually discussing football, we're discussing uh, the Oakland Raiders and kind of some of the head scratching decisions that they've made. But here's the deal. If I'm. Uh, uh, an NBA team and I've lost my coach either I fired him or he quit or whatever who makes the decision to hire the next coach this is I'm, I'm throwing up this hypothetical question to you Danny
1: I mean typically it's the general manager president of basketball operations
0: yeah. and that and that person typically is what it has, it is a basketball person right they one, have one, one of... would hope <laughs> One would, one, would, one would think, as as my guy Zach Harper likes to say, one would think, right? But it's it's someone who is employed in the field of knowing basketball, knowing what's important to winning, uh, thus being able to, within certain kind of uh, dependability, ascertain and analyze who's good at coaching and who's not. I know it's not that straightforward, but the idea is, you know, whether it's Daryl Morey or Bob Myers or Bell Demps or whoever, that these people watch a lot of basketball, they know and they watch different coaches and all that, and if they interview coaches, they're going to know what to ask, right? What, your philosophies on this, and how would you deal with these situations, and, and you could see if the guy's a good X and O's guy, you could see if he's a good communicator, all of those things, right? The problem is, who hires the basketball guy who makes that decision, right? So basically, who hires your president of basketball ops, who hires your general manager, whatever? It's the owner, but the owner is not a basketball guy and does not watch a ton of games and does not know what contributes to winning and what doesn't. And so often you're asking an owner to interview a guy, but I have the owner has no qualifications to determine whether this guy is good at his job or not or will be good at his job or not, right? It would be like you or I being tasked with uh, hiring the new head of NASA. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not an aeronautical engineer. I don't know enough about space to ask relevant questions or even if I know what questions to ask, to be able to judge the answers that are coming back to me. And so that's the biggest problem there is that the person who, like you said, in most cases, the owner is not involved in the day to day. So the person who is being tasked with doing all the day to day stuff was hired by someone who has absolutely no idea what constitutes a good candidate for the position.
1: Yeah, and along those lines, most owners are not ma- did not make their you know success in basketball. That isn't where what? their their field of expertise. It might be something that they have an interest in. They might think that they know a lot about it, but generally speaking, that isn't where their bread is buttered. And so that's why the comparison with NASA is a good one. Is because yeah, maybe you have an interest in it. Maybe I, I I'm not super into space, but maybe I was. But I wouldn't think in any circumstance that I was a professional at that. That's so, not that's not my job. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm not qualified. At, but see, it's a, now Danny. Here's the rub, right? So, so far so good, but here's the <laughs> difference, right? Two things. One, you're right. Most of them haven't made their money in basketball. They made their money in something else, right? And with, with exceptions, most of them, I, I want to say most of them are, are kind of self-made in, in some shape, form or fashion. Meaning they didn't inherit billions of dollars. They went out and built. Now, obviously there are exceptions. James, James Dolan is a, is a trust fund baby or whatever. You know, Robert Sarver, uh, you know, started his own bank with a million dollars, but again, he had a million dollars to start a banquet. And so there are, obviously exceptions but for the most part these are people who with a limited amount of capital whatever turned around and made it into a billion dollars do you know how many times people say you don't know what you're talking about oh you're you're a fool you know they've heard that throughout their lives and they shut all those people up by making a billion dollars right so the idea that once you come to this space which after all is quote-unquote just a game i'm not gonna listen to you guys and you say i don't know what i'm talking about i've heard it before and guess what i made a billion dollars and people told me that so there's a hubris that comes along with owning a basketball team that you or i would not have if we had to hire the head of nasa because we don't have that wild success in our life to lean back on but the other thing there um that's happening is the idea that we think about why do owners buy basketball teams? Right? They buy teams because because I mean it's, it can't be to make money. If if I wanted to make money, there's other things where I could invest my money with a much shorter rate of return and a much quicker rate of return. So it's not about making money. They buy basketball teams because without a, without a sports team, I should say, you're just another dude that no one's ever heard of. Right? How many of you knew who Tillman Fortita was five years ago? Like w- listeners to this pod, ten years ago, do you guys know who Tillman Fortita was? You guys know who Mark Lazary or Wes Edens or any of these people like, yeah, OK, so Peter Goober is a big time Hollywood exec. I've heard of him. Right. But for the most part, these people are all anonymous rich people. But the moment you own a team, it changes your life. Now I'm not anonymous. Now people know who I am. And, and that's a, again, that's a big part of why these guys behave the way they do uh, with this thing that is basically a big toy for them.
1: Yeah, and basically, there's the other part of this. As as small as it might seem to to us in the moment, you know who they hand the trophy to when a team wins a championship? They don't hand it to the MVP. They don't hand it to the coach. They don't hand it to the GM. They hand it to the owner.
0: That's right. The man that cut the checks. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what he. And it should be. I'm not here to. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, not I'm not, owner, I'm not. I'm not criticizing him. it either. Yeah, man, that's that's how it should be. He's the guy that that made all of this possible, literally by paying everybody to do their job.
1: And because they make the—I mean, for for well or for ill, they make the decisions that set the table. Now, there's a lot of luck involved, and successful, successful teams, successful franchises can be that way, especially for a short period of time mm-hmm. due to a variety of factors that do not involve the owner's individual brilliance. But they are an important part of that, and they are the—like, I've made the comparison before that— in certain ways, owning a sports team is like owning artwork in the sense that you're you're owning it not for the investment, though there are certainly people who buy artwork as an investment. It's because right. of the status that it provides. But what's fundamentally yes. different about sports and about artwork is that generally speaking, unless you're like giving it to a museum or something, part of owning a sports team is making sure that everyone knows that you own a sports team and being forward-facing, sitting in the front row or the box or wherever you want to be. And Having it that a large portion of the people that know who you are know who you are because of that thing, and it's right. like I mean, a lot of owners have fascinating life stories, and if you go through it, I mean, I did some of uh, Joe Lakeup's when I wrote a book on the Warriors, like going through like how he grew up and everything like that, and I mean, these are people who are worth a ton of money, and as you said, a lot of them are are self-made, either in whole or in part, and they have these stories, and and they've made there's a kind of a survivorship bias if you want to call it that of the yeah. people that choose to make this leap because there are a whole lot of other rich people that don't do this and that right. it, it takes a specific type of a specific type of person to say that's what I want to do with my money
0: yeah it's it, it's it's the ultimate like you said it best it's the ultimate status symbol right like the idea is part also part of it is like I buy it. A, a, a sports team so that when I have cocktail parties with my other super rich friends, I can bring some of these guys out, right? Like, hey, it's look, that's one hell of a party favor. Like, oh, yeah, Shaq, yeah, that's my guy. Like, whoa, you know Shaq? Yeah,
2: that's my guy, man.
0: Plays on the team I own, right? It's, that's a trick that not many... Like, there are a lot of billionaires out there, right? Because a lot of them just don't have access to this world, right? This world of pop culture and celebrity and all that. And they want it. And obviously... You can't buy celebrity, so to speak. But the next best thing is you buy the access to celebrity, and that's what what uh what owning a sports team is. As I said, this is this is the evolution of a fan, right? Hey, I'm the biggest fan ever. Oh yeah? How? Well, I watch every game that's on uh, every time it's on TV. Oh, I'm a bigger fan. Why are you a bigger fan? Well, I watch on League Pass. Even when I'm not home, I can watch my favorite team. That's how much of a fan I am. Well, I'm a bigger fan than you. How? I have season tickets. Well, I'm a bigger fan than you. How? I have courtside season tickets. They give us access to all these things and these mixers and all that stuff and meet and greets. And then with the, the ultimate Trump card. I'm the biggest fan there is. How I bought the team, <laughs> and now I make them. I, I I don't get to hang out with them. I make them hang out with me because I own the team. And so that that's there's definitely kind of a an escalation of status there uh, that you get when you're when you're a billionaire who, who pays for a sports team.
1: And there's certainly downside to it too for the ones that are famous in a more negative way because of their management of the team. And that can that can also change. I mean, I was there when Joe Lacob got merciless booed at the chris mullen jersey retirement because people felt justifiably so i mean at the time that that he hadn't done a good job and he preached patience that is now seen very differently than it was at the time because the warriors are now what what they are but that kind of is a is a good lead-in to the decisions that owners make and so you're right to start with How they choose the, let's call it the basketball operations people. I think that's a good way of, a a good way Mm -hmm. of putting it. And, and I think most coaches have a voice. I mean, sorry, most owners have a voice in the coach selection process, even if it's not their decision. If they want to, they can. And, and so you get into these really interesting elements in terms of, of who you hire. And so that is, you know, what are you looking for and what do they tell you? Can you discern? when somebody is giving you lip service or what they actually believe, and what do you want to hear? And and also, what parts of their resume are important? Like, do you want somebody who is a name you've seen before on TV? You brought up the Raiders, like, that you've seen cover games before, or, or that, I mean, had been a successful coach in your franchise before? All those sorts of things. Do you want to look for somebody who is regarded in the industry but remember you don't know this industry very well and most of the people who do know it well are employed by teams that aren't going to tell you
0: so I'm, I'm, i'm glad you brought that up there is a very specific example of a team that hired its lead basketball decision maker by consulting with a rival team's executive and and shock and horror it turned out to be disastrous imagine that they didn't give me good advice after all. Jeez, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh,
1: oh no! Don't, don't take this guy. It'll be devastating. That'll be, that'll yeah. be bad for the whole league. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: I mean, this isn't yeah. the example. Uh, I, I mean, I was cracking up at the. There was that quote. I think Casey Johnson is the one who had it from. I believe it was Gar Foreman, Could have been Paxson. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to tell sometimes who's saying what <laughs> about how like Jerry West was telling them that they're doing such a good job and. Yeah. I mean, I know Jerry. I, I've met him a few times, but like, there is no way of, that I know of discerning whether he was de- saying that because he because he genuinely believes it, or because he's um, he's amazing at what he does, and telling somebody who's doing a bad job that they're doing a good job is a smart business tactic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, there is no one is look in terms of because there's two types of this, right? Like. Uh, In terms of if someone working for me is up for a position somewhere else where they can grow and become better than what they're doing with me, I'm of the school of thought you always let those people go. You always, like I said, like Steve Kerr, when they came calling for Luke Walton, he didn't fight about it. He said, yeah, go ahead. I hope you get the job. I hope all my sisters, Alvin, I hope you get the head job. I hope all my sisters get head jobs. Right. But in terms of you're asking me my opinion out of the blue, hey, who should I hire for coach? and I'm a coach for another team, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you a bad suggestion. Yeah, man, that's what we're doing. We're competing.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> because why are you asking me? Like, you, you, yeah. if you are choosing, you know, if if you are choosing, if I was a competitor, let's say we're selling printer cartridges, and you ask me, a rival printer cartridge company, what price you should list at, but, I'm going to give you terrible advice because that benefits me, and other. unless we're forming, like, a, a price cartel for these sorts of things or something like that, there isn't a benefit of coordinating when it's it's not always a, a rigid, like, Machiavellian zero-sum game, but it's pretty dang close.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but then it goes back to the whole, well, if I'm not qualified to make this hire, how do I do it? And increasingly now, I think teams are starting to use headhunters, right? Agencies or, or consultants, like uh, feature people who are well-versed in this field and can ask all the relevant questions and tell you, look, based on our findings and our interviews and our research, this is the best candidate. Uh, which is funny because that's a practice that's been used... In in corporate America for decades. It ain't nothing new. But again, it's the idea that these billionaires buy these teams and they look at them as toys. They don't realize this is as complex... A business as whatever business you, world you came from, and so uh, that you know the hiring of those type of agencies is kind of a reflection of people starting to figure out. Oh, yeah, I can't do this by the seat of my pants. I can't just look a guy in the eye and know he's a leader of men and all the other crap that they say when they hire people.
1: And even with that, you run in the risk of that firm deciding either deciding something that benefits their own interests or just you know maybe sure. putting one of their own people in charge. You know, you could even get get into that sort of yeah. a circumstance, and that has happened and it will continue to happen i mean the just, in, the incentives involved in all this are, are bananas
0: yeah is, is that what happened in detroit because i remember the news story that ed stefanski was going to help them find their new head of basketball operations and then i never heard anything again and then the other day i'm reading something that said, ed stefanski he's just the gm was like oh so he just never left <laughs> he's like i'll help you find a guy you know what i found him He's in the mirror of my bathroom. Yeah, hell uh, of a guy. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's 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 kind of like uh, Dick Cheney running the vice president selection committee in two thousand. I mean, it, it, oh, yeah. it it's happened, and I mean, yeah, and and when you're entrusting somebody with that decision, and you chose to entrust them, it kind of makes some sense to have them yeah. entrust themselves. I mean, you, you you there's a way to see it as nefarious, and in certain circumstances it is, but in other circumstances, it's just the person you trust to do the job the most <laughs> is yourself, and there are only thirty of the these jobs out there. And while it's a hard, stressful, you know, often, you know, perilous job, there are only 30 of them, and there are a bunch of people in this world who would do terrible, terrible things to have one of them even for a short time.
0: Well, I mean, but it just goes back to the uh, initial problem, which is the person making the hiring decision is completely wholly unqualified to make that decision. So if I hired Danny LaRue to go find my next general manager, and Danny LaRue says I searched wide and I searched high and looked under every rock, and I found your next general manager. His name is Danny LaRue. It's not like I have suddenly gained the insight to it. Wait a second. Is he just talking game, or did he actually d- – Right, I'm still the same idiot that I was before I hired Danny LaRue to go find my next GM. Well, well,
1: and you've already sold them once. You already sold them on yourself yeah. once. Or you're like, "Hey, I'm the person to find the person." And then you're like, "Hey, yeah, in exactly. my prof- in my professional opinion. By the way, if any NBA NBA team wants to hire me to help them find their next general mentor, I'm happy to do it." <laughs>
0: you're right there. I haven't you're figured right out there. I
1: haven't figured out what my rate is, but we can we can talk about it. But I th- I think that you yeah, you run into all of these different situations. And so I think that's the first big area of this is who you hire. And then the second area, which is connected to it because it's the same individual in most cases is what pressure are you putting on them? What latitude are you giving them? And how do you decide to keep them or let them go? And I mean, sometimes that's the big decision that, uh, that an ownership group gets wrong. It's, you know, you could say that it's that they hired the wrong person in the first place, but there's a fundamental uncertainty in that every time, even if, you know, various people like Belichick didn't succeed in Cleveland. There are a bunch of different examples of this in in various different sports. And so then it becomes, well, how do you know that this person is the wrong person And when when you know that, what do you do? And so there are a bunch of situations that I would I would argue around the league where they have the wrong person, but the wrong person is still there. And then that's a whole different problem.
0: And and so and and, and that's a fair thing. I'm glad you brought up Belichick as an example. You know, sometimes it's stuff that they that's not their fault, but pretty much is what we're saying. And so what it comes down to is process over results, man. That's honest, and a lot of people don't want to hear that, but you got to know that if we do things the right way, more often than not, we'll get the right result. But we can get great results without having good process, but it's not going to be sustainable, right? And so, for instance, Oklahoma City, a lot of people are like, oh, Preston, I can't believe he traded Harden, and he had all three of those guys, and not, and all three became MVPs, but not on the same team or whatever. Like That's all well and good, but I think that Sam is one of the best general managers in the league because I know... How their process works and their processes sound may not always give you the right result. No one's batting a thousand, right? Jerry West drafted Troy Bell and gave Cesare Trabansky a bunch of money and gave Brian Carter a bunch of money. Like Jerry West is probably the, the greatest exec of all time. Pat Riley, another one of the greatest execs of all time, gave us on Whiteside the max, right? Gave Brian Grant the max or, or a massive contract once upon a time, right? They all have warts. They all got... Memories and stories the oh man, I wish I could have that one back. But the idea, the idea is day in and day out. Are they performing the processes of the job in a way that you look at and you say, okay, I believe in you, even though the results aren't here right now, I still believe in you. And by the way, the same, same is true of coaches. I always think it's funny that NBA teams fire coaches. Uh, sometimes I feel like because they just don't know what else to do. Oh, we've been losing. Ah, I fire the coach. Like not because the coach is bad, but because you just don't know what to do. We're losing and there has to be something done and, we, I don't know enough to know exactly what a thing that we can adjust. So I'll just fire the coach. But if this is someone that you know and you trust and you believe in, well, why would you ever fire him? Right. Uh, it's why, again, franchises like Miami, like San Antonio, uh, like Boston, are good franchises because even when their coach goes through tough times they know no 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 he hasn't changed we weren't wrong on him it just we're we'll going through some stuff and we'll we'll be better for it on the other end
1: yeah and I like that you use the word process there because that's another important delineation between successful and unsuccessful people in this is is yeah you're gonna make mistakes but there needs to be a, ra- a cogent rationale and for mm-hmm. why you did what you did and now there are cogent rationales that suck and there are cogent rationales that are not actually you know conducive to success there are a, a million different examples of that but it being able to explain we're doing X because of y like it, it's it's a really basic threshold but it's also a really important one of okay like so for example an example of this for me that and and I think generally he's done a good job but Neil O'Shea drafting Caleb Swanigan in the first round to me is one of those weird process ones because you're sitting there and, you know, Caleb Swanigan to me, isn't a particularly bad player for what he does, but you're sitting there going, well, how's this going to work? And right. and so, you know, I'm not saying, you know, maybe O'Shea saw something that I didn't and I wasn't super familiar with with Swanigan when he was in college. He was below my radar partially because he wasn't at he wasn't at that level. And and so there are those decisions all over the board. And so there they are well-intentioned, well-reasoned things that go poorly. They're poorly intentioned, poorly reasoned things that go well. All of these things, things happen all the time. But having that rationale, having it build in together, and and a cohesiveness of vision is is also important. Now you don't want to go yeah. like they're 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 limit. You know it's it's this old thing. Everything is good in moderation and bad in excess. But that approach is is really really important.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, the important takeaway is that, yeah, you you can do everything right and get the wrong result. You can do everything wrong, and get the right result. But over time, if we now replicate that over a thousand different uh, opportunities, more often than not, the ones that had the good process are going to rise to the top. And the ones that had a poor process are going to fall to the bottom because, you know, you, you're basically leaving everything up to chance. So uh, the other thing also is, and this is an important thing from a front office standpoint, right? Um, you can win micro transactions, but then when you take a step back, the the macro has not moved you any any closer, right? So the idea is, have you ever seen one of those pictures that are, you know, it looks like a portrait of a person or whatever? But when you get closer, you realize all the different tones and shades are actually comprised of smaller pictures, right? And so it's like it's really a zillion little pictures all in one canvas. But when you take a step back, because each one has a different tone or shading or color it then creates a bigger picture like larry bird's face or something like that to me that's what being a a good front office is about it's about all these little transactions that we do on every on a daily basis or you know on a regular basis they all have to fit in a greater puzzle piece so that when i take a step back it looks like a picture so one of the things uh, i thought the downfalls that philadelphia had under sam hinkie was they were winning the microtransactions, but there was very little building to a cohesive bigger picture. It's not enough to say, okay, well, we got Joel indeed.
2: It is, there has
0: to be something building towards something else because the other part of that, that whole experiment was the idea that, well, we're just going to keep doing this until we land, until we make the right pick, right? They were, they were content with doing that forever and just saying that sooner or later, one of these guys that we pick with a top four pick or top five pick is going to be the one that's cool. But I I don't think that's enough of a, you know, what you call a cohesive vision, right?
1: Yeah. That's an interesting point. And it also, I mean, their reasonable minds can differ. We both have imperfect information on what happened there. It also could have been a failure of communication of absolutely the idea of like, there is a picture, like if you're, let's say you're putting together those little images and you're, you're putting it together and you, you part of being a general manager is going to the people who are above your head and saying, it's going you know, to be a picture, but I need more. I need more images. It's going to take some time. We're getting in there, you know. You, you want to make sure to not put anything in wrong, and and we'll have time to correct it. And that led to some of the problems. And I think not necessarily tying this with the Sixers, though. I I do think there are some relations here too. Is that. Uh, Another part that makes the president GM part so complicated is that not only are they making a lot of these decisions, but they're also running a giant entity themselves because of all the people that are under them that inform the decisions that generally the buck stops with them. But you think about all the not only evaluation of talent. I mean, we talk about it on the floor all the time, but making sure you you have the right scouts and you filter the information they sit, they give you properly, having, you know, the coaching staff and the coach and, and any conflicts that exist there. I mean, I, I think back to like the Scalabrini-Mark Jackson thing, because that was one that I covered at the time. There are a bunch of those. And so you have all of these different things running together that are a different challenge, and those can be pitfalls for a general manager as well.
0: Yeah, and 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 the communication, you know, you were alluded to the communication of the Sixers communicating that vision to the rest of us or whatever, but that's the number one part of the job, right? 95% of that job is babysitting the owner. Because again, when you're a billionaire, the word no doesn't come across your table a whole lot, right? The, the most here is not yet, but not no, we can't or whatever. And so owning a team or being a part of a team, a lot of that is hearing a lot of no's, whether it's no, the shot didn't go in, no, we didn't get the call, no, we didn't win the game. And so regular people who are used to rejection and failure in our lives, you understand, hey, man, you just got to take that lump and keep it moving. You try to learn from it, but you can't dwell on it, right? For the billionaire, that's not something they've heard in a very long time. And so they become the more emotional ones who will become furious very easily over the slightest thing. And so that job is kind of keeping them from going off the deep end and losing losing their mind or, or making rash decisions because they need – some form of immediate satisfaction of immediate feedback of something good happening and that's that's a job man like Steve Kerr he talks about like why he left the GM position he's like I was tired of 3am phone calls not 3am phone calls because somebody got arrested or someone is sick and being air back somewhere or whatever it's 3am phone calls of having to talk an owner off the ledge right just because you know they're upset because we blew a 7 point lead in the 4th quarter or so and so didn't have a good game with him but that's That's the reality, man. You're babysitting some guys that that aren't used to rejection and failure in their recent lives. And that that can be a tedious thing. And so maybe that was also part of uh, Sam Hinckley's downfall is that he didn't do a good enough job selling to his owner and babysitting his owner. Right. It's not enough to say, just trust me unless your name is Pat Riley, uh, and you've got that kind of relationship with Mickey. M- much in the same way, it's not enough for Jim Boylan to say, oh, yeah, well, Pop did it this way. Well, Pop has, tw- forget the championships. Pop had 20 years and had a relationship with his best players that allowed him to do use the tactics that he did. You don't have that. You don't have that trust. So you can't operate as, a, well, just let me do my job or whatever. No, no, no. You have to earn all that kind of uh, status to be able to do the job that way.
1: Yeah, that's a a really good point. Plenty more to talk about with Amin Al-Hassan. But first, a message from our friends at betonline.ag. This is a really fun week in sports. You have the NFL going on in full swing, and this is actually a fun one in particular because this is the week where they expand into really taking over Saturdays as well, so if you are into the NFL, great time to check in with it, great time to engage in betonline.ag as well, and then the NBA, we're in the heart of the regular season now, so there are great games just about every night, and something that I really enjoy about betonline.ag is that you can use it to make games you are already going to watch more fun, or you can... Test out the advantages that you think you have. Maybe listening to real GM radio makes you feel like you, ha- you have something that you have a, you have an insight that, that's worth pursuing. And you can go online or use your mobile phone, sign up today at betonline.ag and if you use the promo code podcast1 you get a 50% sign up bonus so you can also try in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play which is another cool way to do it so again you go to betonline.ag and you use that promo code podcast1 for a 50% sign up bonus betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts also, want to tell you about TrueCar. 60 seconds. That is exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with TrueCar. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you will get an accurate true cash offer from a local TrueCar certified dealer. It is that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions, get the answers you need, so there are no surprises. Then, simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So, when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today. Something else that is really hard in sports—it's also what makes sports worth watching for for most of us—is the unpredictability and the lack, sometimes, of merit being involved. I mean, basketball is, I would say, more meritorious, especially because it's a seven-game playoff series, than a lot of them. But I'll give an example that I talked about with our our mutual friend Ethan Sherwood Strauss once, not on the show, though. I, that's why we're it up fun. now.
0: I uh, see. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but so basically, what I was explaining to him was. There was this challenge years ago that I heard about of when they were, they were doing a, a baseball video game, and they were trying to figure out whether they wanted umpires to call balls and strikes in the game accurately or whether they wanted umpires to make mistakes. It's the same thing with extra points in a football game. And so what you're sitting there going is, well, you be sitting there like, why is this a hard decision? And you go, because if you want it to be realistic, sometimes you do everything right and the umpire calls a strike a ball. Sometimes you do everything right and the kicker, you push all the buttons right, but the kicker slips on a patch of mud and misses the field goal. And that's the way basketball is. Sometimes you draft exactly the right guy, but he tears up his knee in summer league or you do any of this stuff. And that's why the communication and all that matters, too, is because it feels like, to me, more often than not, those uncertainties end up going in the negative direction, though they absolutely can go in the positive direction.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. They go in the positive direction. Sometimes the guy that you drafted, who thought, you thought would be a very good, complimentary piece, turns into an all-NBA player. Like, Jimmy Butler is one of those, right? They didn't, they didn't know. Jimmy Butler didn't know he was going to be as good as he was, right? Donovan Mitchell's another one. I've told the story before where Donovan Mitchell... Up until, like, right before the draft, he didn't know if he was going to go first round or not. He said, you're going to be a lottery pick. What are you talking about, first round? You're going to be one of the top picks. He didn't know. And so, like, sometimes you take a guy because you you like kind of, there, there are elements about him that you like and respect. But it can turn out to be way better than even you imagined. And then, But then, yeah, we tend to remember the negatives, right? Because no one ever wants to pipe up and say, no, yeah, I didn't think he'd be that good, right? No one ever says that. <laughs> but but everyone always wants to know whose fault it was that someone wasn't as good as we thought right greg Oden is a guy i think about a lot when we talk about this because greg Oden, from a basketball resume standpoint was as surefire as it gets, right but it just so happens one leg is shorter than the other on him and it leads to chronic injury and he turns into one of the worst number one overall picks in nba history right maybe there could have been more done from a medical standpoint but that's not because they were bad at talent evaluation that he didn't work out work out because he didn't work out man like because <laughs> of reasons outside of the control of the player and the team
1: yeah and so then you have to as as an owner evaluate whether the person who's making the deci- those decisions is the right one for the job and i mean i already brought up gar Pax. that's a good example of one that i think has outstayed their welcome by a while ernie grunfeld is another one of those for me no. i i think i mean going back to the Mike Miller trade, Mike Miller, Randy Foy. I think that was yeah. that was in 2009. They made a trade yep. shortly before the draft involving the fifth overall pick. I don't think they expected Ricky Rubio to be there. Ricky Rubio was there. There ended up being players better than Ricky Rubio that went after yeah, him.
0: That's, a, that, that's the part I don't get. It's like, it, regardless whether Rubio or not, they, they were. <laughs> the idea that they weren't going to get a good pick at at 5 was just a good player at 5 was just kind of boggled my mind. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, uh, it's not it's not like it's the 25th pick in the draft or something like that. Yeah. And that was one of those deals, yeah, it was it was Mike Miller and they it was a couple of days before, so it was kind of like you knew the general arc of it, but they couldn't right. be certain. This it wasn't the equivalent to me of like, let's say, what Danny Ainge did with the with the Mark Fultz trade, which of course has worked out spectacularly for the Celtics and poorly for for the Sixers, and that is another example of how things happen. But with the fifth pick, there's a lot more uncertainty, especially in that draft. Like nobody really knew how things were going to shake out for a couple of picks, and you know it ended up that that was some. There was more value there, there. there was as much value there as I thought there was going to be, but there was more value there apparently than Grenfell thought. And then there are all these other decisions, but apparently he's very good at the other part of it, you know, selling, selling selling the owner, you know, having that he's survived an ownership change too, which is also impressive. It's always, it's, it's notable when that happens as well. I mean, that it's kind of like when you survive a a, a change above you, it's always surprising. Like when Dwayne Casey survived the GM change in Toronto, all those sorts of circumstances. And so You always kind of want to keep an eye on that. But yeah, I mean, so for and then you're sitting there going, well, crap, how do I know if this person isn't the right person for the job? Making sure that, again, it's that it's on the process, that it's not on the results. Because if you fire a a GM because of the results, then maybe you made a bad decision and maybe you're not going to get somebody who's better. And syncing up the vision, all the cascading effects with the coach and the staff and all that. And also just how do you approach the position? I mean, you can go to one extreme here and like Dan Gilbert basically doesn't value. It's pretty, pretty well known now that he doesn't value front office people. He doesn't value general managers cycles through them. Nobody ever really gets more than one contract. And sure, there are times there that you're avoiding, like, giving security to somebody who doesn't deserve it, but you're also avoiding giving security to somebody who does
0: deserve it. Right, exactly. Like, the the idea is that if, 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 if I'm playing Blackjack, you know, like, there's a Family Guy episode where Peter is playing Blackjack. And he says hit me, and then he gets hit, and then he says hit me, and the dealer says, sir, you have a you have a twenty. He says hit me, and you get an ace. Oh, you got twenty one like that. And then he says hit me, right? If if you just keep saying hit me, that means you had no idea. What the goal of the game was, or whatever. So you just say, oh, fire him, give me a new one, get, fire me, get a new one because I don't want to ever commit to the wrong guy. Well, meanwhile running the right, the right guy out of there. It shows that you never had any grasp of this whatsoever. Uh, the opposite in the spectrum is, you know, when you talk about Ernie Grenfell, to me, okay, you want to talk about process, right? So this is a team that had obviously very famously gun issue with, the with Gilbert Arenas and all that, but, but look at this consecutive drafts right? Andre Blatch, guy with checkered history, right? Nick Young and Dominic McGuire, again, kind of knuckleheads. DeVille McGee, knucklehead. John Wall, obviously that one was a good one. (laughs) And then Chris Singleton, right? And so you have like four, five, six years in a row where you're just taking knuckleheads over and over again. Like there was never a chance to think this thing could ever get fixed. You would ever have a good culture. And those are the things I talk about like, what, what were they thinking? Right, Just like right now, like, hey, you know, we have an underachieving locker room and uh, our chemistry isn't great. You know what would really fix it? If we got Austin Rivers and Dwight Howard in here. Like You're playing all the tunes of someone who does not know the song, right? <laughs> Just kind of mumbling the words and kind of humming along, but has no idea what the song is. And so... That's the point where ownership has to ask, look, I can't demand a championship, right? That's that's the realest thing. Nobody can demand a championship or expect a championship. You can only put yourself in a position to perhaps win a championship, right? To contend for a championship, but you can't ever guarantee it. So it's not the idea that Washington hasn't been able to do even that. It's look at the decisions they make. They're always bad for some reason. They don't make good decisions and it's not good processes. If you're landing on Chris Singleton and guys of that nature – as the guys you should you should be adding to this team, or you know Austin Rivers or Dwight Hart or whoever, like that's that should tell you everything about that process being faulty.
1: Can I also mention? Oh no, never mind. They sold Bill Walker. They drafted him, but they traded him. That's yeah. right. And even yeah, though he wasn't was, wasn't the same mistake, but Alexei Pesharov was drafted right around then too, and he just wasn't yeah. good. Like that, yeah. you could draft nugs. You could also draft guys who who aren't NBA players, and you have right. both of those things together. But and I, but
0: but here's the thing, because I know everybody's got. Everybody's got some of those, right? Oh, of Where, course. Like, look, but like, so I don't, I don't hold unless everyone you draft can't play. I don't hold that too hard against them uh, as much as you are drafting the type of person that will not be an asset to your organization, given where you are, right? The Warriors could take a chance on uh, Jordan Bell, right? Jordan Bell had kind of like, oh, I don't know, Patrick McCall, same thing, right? Like they're, they're a little bit of a, a, a stain on them coming out of college, gotten into some stuff. But you're the goddamn Warriors, right? You have Steph Curry, who's an amazing human being. is an amazing human being, and you have this strong culture and find leadership and all that stuff they could absorb and take chances like that san antonio could absorb and take chances on a stephen jackson for instance who, who had had his kind of like checkered past or whatever because you know yourself and you know your organization is strong enough to absorb that and then make the most of his talent
1: and you also know you also know the number of people that you can take risks on at any given time is low right <laughs> it's not yes. seven it's not half the locker room
0: or all the locker room. so there's a lot of that stuff going on in washington that always makes me the same thing with with chicago right like think about you had a you had a, a an exec assault a coach Like, <laughs> what, what, what are we doing here
1: i had completely forgotten about that story until recently yeah. the whole vinnie del negro thing it's like oh yeah oh, that's, that's right
0: how is that in any way indicative of someone who's got their together you physically assaulted an employee. Right?
1: Yeah, it's not, and 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 also, I mean, while I think Whitman did a pretty good job for a couple of years as a coach, you know that ended up washing out, and you get, you kind of go through it. And I think Brooks has been fine overall. There, he's not speed uh, now. It's it it what seems Ailes like they're tuning
0: Washington, him out. What ails Washington is not a coaching issue.
1: Right. Agreed. And yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's bought it's it's the groceries that were bought, not the person who's making the meal. That's 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 the big issue there.
0: I'm not I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying that's Emeril Lagasse over there on the sideline. But I'm also telling you, it's not like if you got Emeril Lagasse, if Greg Popovich was brought in just to coach the Wizards, not do anything personnel wise or any sort of you know powerful way, just be there push buttons coach, they still wouldn't be good. Like they still would not be good, man. Yeah. Because as you said, the groceries, are what's what's wrong with it? The ingredients are what's wrong with it.
1: And and so then, so so you have that as a, as a big box and evaluating what makes somebody good at their job and, and bad at their job and everything else. But then there's another element of this. And I think, I think Nate does a good job of making sure that we talk about this, but it's extremely important, which is an owner's willingness to spend when appropriate. Now, there are certainly, certainly downsides to unfettered willingness to spend, even with a sloth sure. cap. There are, I mean, you could think about the Knicks as an example of this. You could think about the Brooklyn Nets as an example of this back when back when they were going completely crazy. There, there are a bunch of different examples in time. And I think you could also tie in, like, understanding the constraints here. Like, I, oh, that was something else I wanted to bring up with the Wizards, actually, before we get into the spending, was giving three different guys max contracts. I wrote a piece on this recently, giving three guys max contracts, and then realizing, oh, we don't have the ability to do anything now. And yes. even if each one of those, and I would disagree with this, but even if each one of those was a reasonable so decision disturbing. in and of itself, yeah. they made three of them within 13 months that combined to make an untenable picture. And that's the cohesiveness of vision
0: issue. Yep, that's that's the micro, you might have won the micro transaction. Although, of course, we, I think we both disagree on that. Of them even winning the microtransaction. But just assuming that they did, it, there was no chance you were ever going to finish that puzzle piece of the picture.
1: Yeah, but now you get back to spending. And so the, the easiest way to talk about spending is obviously the roster because that is the part that everyone sees. It's forward-facing just like owning a team is forward-facing. And there – I mean there are a couple different thresholds here. One of them is – is the luxury tax a do not pass under any circumstances line, or, or are there circumstances where you can get over it? Another one is how deep are you willing to go? How often? What are the thresholds for doing it? And you know, that is important. I'm not I'm not going to ever argue otherwise because we're, we've seen a lot of circumstances where teams, it doesn't get acknowledged as much, but teams were significantly worse because their owner said under no circumstances am I going to pay the tax. Like the Charlotte Hornets were here for all these years when they couldn't use their full mid-level exception and then shock of shocks, they'd run into depth problems.
0: Right, right. And, and- Uh, I think a more recent example of that, and it's not really confirmed, but everyone seems to be throwing that vibe is why Houston did what it did this off season. Right. The idea here is that they could have spent to keep that unit intact and had a better start than this year but they tried to penny pinch and I think the general and it's, again this is the part where it's easy for us to say because it ain't our money because that, that's another thing if you're a general manager there's a lot of times man you're doing you're not doing stuff because this is what you believe is the best decision but because I just don't want to hear from that dude anymore A lot about, about spent how much how much is it? so so that idea there is when you are in a position to win a championship when that window is open I don't believe you can penny pinch I think this is the time to go full speed ahead and spend what you got to Spend and then figure it out later. But the other times, obviously, the times when when you shouldn't. Uh, and Houston seems to have been an example of they started penny pinching when they should have been spending.
1: Yeah, penny pinching when you're supposed to be spending is hard. And I mean, it's it's pretty challenging to argue against the idea that they weren't looking at looking at the bill because it's not like the guys they lost got overpaid by a, a significant amount. I mean, Trevor Risa getting one year 15 million is. A lot, but it's fine. It's, it's not
0: doable for, for a year. For one year, I'll do it if you're Houston. Yeah, yeah and year, you
1: do it. maybe they could have gotten him for less annual salary, reduce that bill, but for more years, you know, and maybe two years 20 or 25 right. or something like that. You know, maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can One year 15. And I don't think, based on my own instinct, I haven't talked to Trevor Reza. About this, that he thought Phoenix was a better situation for him than Houston. Like, you know, it wasn't one of those. Because there are times where you offer, you make the right offer, and another guy, either somebody makes you makes him a stupid offer, or he just wants something else. You know, there's no shame in that. But it doesn't seem like that's what happened there. And so, so you have the 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 willingness to spend when the time is right. And the Rockets are a great example. I'm really happy you brought that up. But then there's there's all of the other stuff that doesn't necessarily reflect on the court. But it's like, you know, maybe you let. a coach go because they're too expensive or you let or your facilities are run down so players don't want to sign with you or they're unhappy or you you know it's all
0: all the other stuff like the the danny yeah your training staff your medical yeah You're, you're you're like how much like the stuff that there's no salary cap on right it, it staggers me like the knicks don't have the best of everything that doesn't have a salary cap on it the best trainers the best medical staff the best uh medical facilities in terms of like the uh devices that they have in there the, the cryotherapy all that stuff right like those teams the rich teams that's where you you make a huge difference the uh the infrastructure your scouting databases the software that you use the uh, video uh, housing uh, thing. So for instance, in Phoenix, we didn't have a server, right? So and I, to this day, I don't think they have a server. Basically, all of the games, all of the seasons video is saved on hard drives. If the, and you back it up. We, we We used to back it up, but clearly there's a risk that if this thing back, like crashes we just lost everything we literally have lost everything but how much is the server cost well it's gonna run us about 150 grand 150 grand and that's it that's the end of the conversation because of 150 grand we're gonna still do stuff like like cavemen or like like uh, college kids in a dorm room as opposed to state of the art kind of thing like, colleges would always say hey when they're you know when we have little tournaments at, uh, you know, at, at the arena college staff will, oh can we take a, a tour of the practice facility and I would say guys it's not what you think it is because college practice facilities are out of this world it's amazing like asus is gorgeous it's huge and lots of courts and 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 state-of-the-art technology and stuff like that and i'm like we don't have any of that stuff now we just barely got flat screen tvs in there. I, I was part of in 2007 2007 2008 i was part of the planning committee basically to modernize our video and actually have flat screens in there true story and so that's all stuff that, you know, when you saying that not forward pacing, that is really important to invest in because that makes everyone's job a lot easier and, and allows us to be better at our job. But again, it's not just the fans, owners often, they'll have different views. It's like they, They'll have no problem spending, you know, $70 million on two players, but ask them for 150 grand for a server. And it's like, I just asked for the Empire State Building for my birthday.
1: Yeah, and and you run into maybe maybe they maybe there's also like some connection like oh I know somebody who works in X field let's get them a job doing this or let's use their company yeah. and then oh, all of a no, sudden no. things get screwed up. Uh, it, it, it's it's incredible way, how much time. that stuff all happens.
0: All yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's not just for, for for projects like that. Sometimes for positions in the in the team and 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 in, in the organization.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Keep, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and there are, and that's another part of it that is, you know, separates out a a, a good owner from bad owner because you think about the the ecosystem that it creates. If certain people can succeed without trying, and other people who who are trying don't succeed, and, and sometimes you know that's not always that. That's not to say that any system is always fair or that that it, that nepot you know like. There are times when people who have advantages actually do well. So you know you don't want well, to say all the time like, "Oh, they got it because of X." But the the human element here is, of course, relevant too. You know, if somebody if somebody's moving up over you and you think it's because they know the owner, that then that right. changes morale.
0: Right, and I think there's a difference between like, so Mickey Arison's son Nick Harrison, like like there's a difference in that, or Kirk Lake, I guess, is another good example. There's a difference between those and like, yeah, that's my, um, business partner's 'er ne'er-do-well nephew. Like that's, that's, and that's, that happens a lot. Like I think if it's the son of the owner or the daughter of the owner, I think people are, A, people are more understanding of it. And B, I find a lot of times those people are very motivated to prove. I didn't get this position because I'm daddy's oldest or daddy's favorite or whatever. I got it because I'm smart and I'm hardworking and all that stuff. But, like, when it's the the further removed they are, like, the, like the, the last name ain't the same and stuff like that, those are the problem people. Those are the Bud Light crew, as you like to call them. They're just here to say, I work for a team and go out for drinks on the road and things like that.
1: Yeah, and, and also... A lot of times, maybe that, that person who is a hire, they're a voice in the room rather than being the voice in the room. And that can be something else, too, because then it's not as big of a deal. You know, like I, I don't have too much of an insight into how much of a voice Kirk Likop has on the Golden State Warriors. He certainly has a big one on the Santa Cruz Warriors. But it would be different if he was overruling Bob Myers or something like that. You know, like that. It, right. Again, Again, it's it's all an ecosystem and, and it's very
0: but it also, that goes back to what I'm saying, is that Kirk of knows... Right. right like he wants to do this right he wants to be good at this job and so he's not going to do that in the sense that some other slaps would like well why that team and I think we should do it this way and like that happens that happens right but most of the time I feel especially recently maybe back in the days it was different but when I look around the league um, and obviously all these people are in different capacities I think of like Alexander Lazary in, in Milwaukee I think about like I said Nikki Harrison uh, Paliuka's son whose name escapes me in Boston all of these guys kind of have the want to to do right genie oh, bus right genie bus is the perfect the bus family is actually like you have like both sides of the coin from genie like no i want to be great at this i'm going to do this not because my dad owns a team but because people are saying oh she's got a great business mind and on the other hand of the coin is jim bus who kind of like blundered his way around and and made ridiculous claims like we're going to be contending in three years and things that just didn't make sense right it just indicates a general lack of grasp of the gravity of the situation and so those that's a really interesting example like the two sides of the coin of like the child of the owner who wants to prove themselves and then the other one who's just entitled as hell
1: yeah I I'm, I'm happy you thought of that because that it's a good example and also the idea of having a spread out family where you know the Lakers are a family business in a way that very few other teams are and that it it gives you the variance in experience that they, that they've had and you know the challenge that I'm sure it was for Ginny Buss to take the reins away from her brother who was actively doing a bad job
0: yeah i mean no i mean that's Think about that. That's, that's kind of wild when you think about what it, what, what that was, right? Is, I mean, I don't, I don't think Thanksgiving's ever the same at the bus house, right? <laughs> After that, it's, but that's that's the business i mean that's that's ownership right there is making a tough decision like that even though you know it, it could negatively impact your family situation and you know i never said that any of this was easy but it seems to me that a lot of times the pitfalls happen a lot a long way before the hard decisions come up right most well, yeah. of the the, the the bad ownership happens when they're when they're up the easy things the, e- the easy parts
1: well and one of the challenges of owning a sports team is that sometimes the the bad parts come so far after the decisions that led to them. So the Wizards are going to be dealing with paying John Wall, Bradley Beal and Otto Porter, you know, obviously they could trade one or all three of those guys, you know, in over the next couple of years, but they're going to be dealing with that for years to come.
0: Those yeah. decisions by, were two years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, l- let's not forget, even if you trade them away, you're still dealing with the a- after effects of sure. it, right? The, the idea that you, you if you deal with John Wall, his contract right now might be the worst one in the NBA. You're not going to get good value for him. You're going to have – I mean, the idea that even if you trade all three, the end result is a team that's not going to be very good. It's going to be un, un, unimaginably. It's going to be worse than what it is right now. Yeah. But that's a necessary – excuse me, a necessary step in the fixing the situation. And that's, that's the kind of like a ripple effect that you're talking about. It's like five years. I mean, think about Brooklyn, one trade and they're just now one trade in 2013. And they are just now starting to crawl out from under there.
1: And they're, and they're just crawling out. They're not walking yet. They're, they're getting out oh, yeah. of the cave now. Like that, that's what's so amazing about where Brooklyn is, is that, is that circumstance that, yeah, this is the first year they have their own pick free and clear since, since that trade. And, it's remarkable how long it can take sometimes. And the other challenge with basketball is trying to rush that pain often leads to other stuff. I mean, so Washington, they're now without their next four second-round picks. That's a problem, especially if, yeah. you know, a second-round picks, I, my general line is 45, though the two-way contract stuff might change that a little bit. I don't know how it changes it. It just might. Well, those second-round picks might end up being kind of valuable. You can't do anything with them. You can't draft players with them. You can't trade them to somebody else. you It, it, it gets hard. And... So with basketball, I mean, you have all that stuff. And also something I was thinking about, you brought up Presti, and he's also a really interesting example of the idea of selling because while I have been and and, and will always be very critical – Of the what it feels to me was the process behind them trading James Harden. It is pretty remarkable that they are now willing to go this deep into the luxury tax for this long. And a big part of that is Sam Presti being able to sell it because you know they're a very good team. They last year they you know they made the playoffs even after Durant left last year. They you know were competitive, but then they lost in a frustrating way in the in the first round. This year it looks like they're going to be a top half seed. We don't know exactly what that's going to mean, but the sell job here is impressive.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've never met the general manager who basically uh, decided, oh, that's too expensive. It doesn't matter what my owner thinks. I could not in good conscience spend that much. The idea that people would hold it against Presty that he had to do things that they did in order to not dip into the tax. If that's, if that wasn't his – that's as clear, clear as day. That's not him. That's not his – if he had his brothers, he would have paid all of them. And then the other part of that Harden thing, is, which I, I think sometimes gets glossed over, is that there was a point where James Harden said, I don't want to be here. It's not about the money. It's about I just don't want – I don't want to be a part of this because I know as long as I'm here, I will never be – what we all eventually saw him turn into, which is uh, an absolute star.
1: Yeah, and and the the dynamics with him and Westbrook and Durant were very different than Westbrook and Durant, just the two of those guys together. Yeah. I I wonder a lot. It's one of those great what ifs of how would those guys have fared? What would their career been like if they hadn't gone? I mean, there's also this crazy hypothetical that I've dealt with. And keep in mind, I love Russ. I went to college with him. I knew like I I was a believer in him before any of this stuff, but. But there's an argument to be made that he's the guy that should have been traded. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, 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 hard, could, you, you could go in all those directions combo, too. Right. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, it, it's, so, it's so fascinating. And, and that gets into the kind of the last thing that I wanted to talk about on the ownership front, which is the idea that there are lots of different ways to succeed, but there are a couple different ways that a lot of them fail. And so what I mean by a lot of different ways to succeed is you have the more hands-off owners that are good owners like Peter Holt, where you he yeah. entrusted the right people. And then you have hands-on owners that are more successful. It seems like Lakeup has a pretty solid hand in the Warriors. Mark Cuban is a great example here. He's very, very involved in the day-to-day of the Dallas Mavericks. But for the other – kind of so along the lines of like ways that they fail, another one for me is – I can't imagine what what I would do, and this is part of the reason why it, I would have a lot of trouble as a general manager, even though it'd be a really fun job, if an owner came to me and said, we need to draft player X in the lottery because they're going to sell tickets. Like, that sort of thing. Because you can do the best sell job you want, but if an owner comes to you with that sort of demand, or we need to sign this player because my kid likes them, at a certain point, there's only so much selling and so much you can do, and those owners get themselves in a lot of trouble, too.
0: Yeah, that was we not it wasn't ever as explicit as that, but a lot of times in Phoenix we had to sell our owner selling against what he'd hear from his buddies, right? You know, so uh when we were getting ready to trade Brad Bell and Boris deal, and the deal we had coming back was Jason Richardson and, and Jared Dudley, we literally that deal got done on the on the basis of basically Jason Richardson is a former dunk champ. And so he'd heard of him. And when we're telling them about Jared Dudley, Try to explain him, Jared Dudley is a guy, we think he's been used wrong in Charlotte. You know, he's a really high IQ guy. And, and I think he has a good upside to be a really, really solid role play for us. Like, yeah, I don't see it. Like You never watch. But, but it's just because his, whoever he's talking to at the, at the country club, those guys don't talk about Jared Dudleys of, of the world. They, but it's said, like, "Oh, just oh yeah, yeah, you know, like because they all heard of him." And both those guys are really good for us. You know, I don't say any of that as a knock on Jay Ridge. It's just the idea that you know when we talk about selling, it's not just making this guy with a blank canvas of a mind understand why we're doing this. It's more than that. It's this idea that there are people who are actively polluting this canvas with dumb ideas, but this guy's buying it, and so you are having to fight that narrative or that that pollution while you are also trying to sell your vision
1: i cannot even imagine how crazy that would make me but that's a that, that's a part of what, and and a lot of times when you see the the moves that make no sense on on their face it's yep. something like that it's yes. you know it, it, you know or i've always said before the most dangerous thing in the league is a general manager who's thinks he's trying to save his job i mean hennigan in orlando trading for serge Ibaka is a great example of this stan van gundy even though it's working out better than i anticipated stan van gundy trading for blake griffin you know like all the stuff they gave up in that deal you have all of these all of these circumstances and that gets into the the challenge of ownership too
0: yeah i mean look it, it, it's this job is So much more than what people think when, like, uh, people play in this armchair kind of team management, uh, stuff, like, like it's fantasy basketball, and it's, it's, like, the actual trades, and, and, like, that's just a small part of the job, man the amount of time like don't it should not be lost on people that part of why Danny Ainge and Greg Pop or R.C. Buford and, and all these guys are so good at, or Andy Ellisberg uh, are so good at identifying talent developing talent and, and making these trades and all this stuff is because compared to their peers the amount of time they have to waste convincing and cajoling and hand-holding and all that other stuff is so limited right Danny Ainge is sitting down with Wick and, and Steve explaining every little thing along the He's just doing his job out there. It's it's so much easier to do your job when I don't have to. That other part is not as great as it is, for instance for, uh, you know, whoever's, whoever's going to get the job in Phoenix or, or you know, uh, or Sacramento or places like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, an analogy you could use is like, imagine you were playing a video game and every once in a while there was somebody who's just like press X now, even if it made, even if they yeah. weren't even watching the game and you're like, well, that's yeah. going to kill my guy. Well, too bad. That, that's what we're doing right now. And that's, that's
0: what I want. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's what I want. So I, I think, is there anything more on the ownership front? You, I'm giving you an open floor. Is there anything else that, that we've missed that you think is an important part of that, that gig?
0: I, I just, I, I, and I say this all the time, but it never changes, but I just wish people would understand, like, the reason why your favorite team stinks is not because the media is mean to them or, <laughs> or and It's because, more often than that, it's because there is a massive, massive problem Starting at the top of the organization, and everything else trickles down. Everything else trickles down. Right? Right. So, so, uh, I was talking about this with, with, uh, Mike Ryan, the producer of the Dan Levitar show. And we were actually talking about football. We are talking about, he was saying, if you're a coach, uh, well, was doing about but like, if, if you're a, a hot up and coming coach, you got the Packers' job or the Browns' job, which do you take? And the money is the same in the last stuff. And I said, probably the Packers' job, because the Browns are going to find a way to this up. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how, but they will because that's what bad owners, bad, badly owned teams do. They weren't bad for all this time just because they had really bad luck at picking players. They're bad because it's an organization that is rot, rotten with just mismanagement and nothing is done the right way. And so to turn around and think that even you, you whiz kid and, oh, I got Baker Mayfield, I need to keep it, or whatever, that somehow you're going to be insulated from all that madness is kind of foolish. Now, yes, some people can, Right Again, going back to my if Greg Popovich coached the Wizards, they'd be better than what they are now. But there's a cap to how good they can be as long as the madness around him exists so the Knicks, same thing like it looking up and they're kind of taking their first step towards this long journey of becoming relevant again but somewhere along the line it'll mess up it already happened before with donnie walsh it's like it's the, the same characters are in this movie it's not going to end differently
1: yeah completely true before we go uh i like to ask you what what you're really watching around the league and what you're looking forward you know you watch everything what you're looking forward to seeing over the next few weeks
0: ah uh, well i mean so the Eastern Conference, uh, between Boston and Philadelphia, those are two teams that I think, uh, I, I described it on NBA radios. When I was in business school, they had this thing about called the four stages of group building and it's, uh, forming, storming, norming, performing, right? So forming, obviously get everybody together. Uh, storming is where there's that clash of like, wait, whose role is what and what am I supposed to do? Da, da, da. And norming is when we figured out, okay, these are our roles and let's normalize. This is how we're going to get stuff done. And then performing is like, all right, now we know what we're doing. We're out here. And the, oh, excuse me, uh, Boston and Philly both seem to be in the storming phase where it's not a whole lot of clarity there. Boston's getting there, but I, I find it very curious that Boston takes steps in there basically by having people get hurt. By removing like a couple of characters, doesn't matter who it is. Just the fact that we have a couple less than what we have with a full stop, it allows us to settle into roles a lot easier. Philadelphia, you you got a situation where Joel Embiid, I guess, is embarrassed about his different production uh, of late, but the reasoning that he had didn't make any sense. Like, oh, I'm hanging on the three point line, well, shooting basically the same amount of three pointers, and you're actually getting more paint touches (laughs) than you were getting before Jimmy Butler got there. So clearly, that's not the issue. So I, I, I've i got an eye out on that. And the other thing, obviously, is the MVP race. It's very interesting. Like, there are four starkly different stories. Team Kawhi Leonard basically being this all-around automaton. But at the same time, can you win MVP if you're on pace to play 60 games? Right? Because he sat out basically a quarter of the Raptors games. And that's a lot of that is scheduled maintenance. It's not, like, injury like he's gone through the last couple of nights here. Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, can he continue to get to the paint and finish the way he has, uh, given how poorly he's been shooting from the perimeter? LeBron James, can he make the Lakers win enough for him to be considered for his first MVP in a long time? And then the fourth story is Steph Curry. Can he regain that form that we saw Prior to the injury, where it looked like 2016 Steph was back, I think those are the things that I'm kind of excited to see develop over the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, those are those are all great storylines. Uh, oh,
0: also, oh, also, can Utah stop embarrassing me? <laughs> go, go back to the adrenaline one. Have so much shit <laughs> like, like I'm a, i was the ultimate hipster and now uh, it just makes you look so dumb uh, man
1: <laughs> i said their over was the best bet on the board yeah i, I oh. i'm with you i'm with you there i mean it we'll, we'll see and they're every once in a while i mean they annihilated the heat a couple yeah. days ago that helped but yeah and i i'm you know it, it, there's there's also this frustration for me where I'm fine being wrong if it's somebody exceeding expectations like Sacramento doing as well as they're doing. I'm thrilled. Yeah, I I would love to be right all the time. That would be fun. But- if it's the case of a team just being way better, De'Aaron Fox has been awesome. But when it's a team that I know or I think is good, underperforming, it just makes me doubly pissed off. Because then you're you wrong and it's not as good of a product.
0: Yeah, it's the Stephen A. Smith. Like where, where you turn on them, it's their fault. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, unless you have something else that you definitely want to discuss, I will thank you for taking the time.
0: Oh, no, man, I really appreciate it. And again, a long time coming. I'm glad we finally got this done. And I'm glad we got to talk about something that, I like to repeat over and over again. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Thanks again to Amin Al-Hassan for taking the time to come on. You can see him. It feels like you could see him everywhere. I mean that in, in such a good way. I'm so thrilled for all of his success and you can hear him on the wonderful growing network of podcasts as well and really happy to see his star continue rising. It has, has done that for years. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter at DarthAmin, D-A-R-T-H-A-M-I-N. Not that he needs my help to get more Twitter followers because he has plenty. But I loved our conversation. I, I was not surprised. I was surprised that, that I got the enthusiastic yes so quickly. This was an idea that had come into my head and was just like, I I, 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 I means too busy. It's not going to happen. But I want to reach out to him. If it felt appropriate considering the conversations we've had previously to do that. And for those of you who enjoyed this, who haven't been on Real GM Radio for a long time. You can go back, our full archive should be available, and some of the early episodes of the show, I would guess in the first 50, maybe 30, are either a couple of, of really good ones with mean and... We get into a bunch of different things, and some of those will age well, some of them won't. That is the fun of having a full archive that is unedited and everything else, is that there will be moments where I sound stupid, probably some where my guests do too, but some really good conversation there, and since Real Gym Radio is designed to be more evergreen, Some of those age really well. So if there's ever somebody that you like on the show, you can go back. You can go back. The first podcast appearance Nate Duncan ever did is is back in our archives. I don't know the number of the episode. I'm sorry. But there are lots of things. I mean, early episodes with Ethan or or so many other things. So you can check that out as well. If you want to support the show, there are lots of ways that you can do so. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts, even greater if you're one of the people who does not use that. If you want to leave re- a review both places, you feel free. It's a great thing to do. And a big part of why is because that is a way of having other people who are unfamiliar with the show find it because if they read reviews, if the reviews are good, it moves it up in the rankings, all that fun stuff. And likewise, spreading the word, social media, in person, whatever makes you happy. If there's a specific episode or just general, I tell somebody you think they'd like the podcast. It's It's a great thing. This one's been around for a long time, but there are still lots of people who don't know about it, and that's one way that it spreads. Also, subscribing, downloading every episode, really important just with the way this business works, and since Real Jam Radio does not come out at a specific day or a specific time of day, subscribing means that when it comes out, it will pop into your podcast player, and that is a great thing that you can do. But of course, the most important thing that you can do to support this show and any other podcasts that have them is check out our sponsors. For this episode, that is betonline.com use that podcast one promo code for a 50% up bonus and TrueCar, car great place to buy a new and used car and as you heard sell a used car so you can check those things out and if you have any feedback on the show good bad or indifferent danny larue nba at gmail.com is the way to do that twitter too ephemeral. I miss stuff. I don't want to miss it. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I hope to respond eventually. I do. I I read everything immediately, but I don't always respond immediately because I want to be thoughtful. If you take the time, I'm going to do the same, but I read it instantly because it goes into a separate feed. I get a little pop-in notification when it comes in that way. And that's what I do. If you want to check out my other work dunked on still going strong, our most recent episode was our shooting guard rankings, which of course will generate plenty of vitriol, which is always fun. And we'll be back with a 15, and 60 on the Eastern Conference on Sunday night, Monday morning, I have written work at the Athletic. I'll actually have in all likelihood two, maybe three pieces coming out on Friday, so you can check that out. One that I already wrote on the Kevin Durant, Steph Curry stagger for the Athletic San Francisco. I broke down the Spencer Dinwiddie extension for the Athletic New York, and I might do a third piece. It's already 12:30 in the morning, and we'll see how little I sleep, but I might end up doing a third one. If not, then I'm sorry, I guess. And then The NBA cast is actually, we're off next week because Nate is going to the G League showcase, but we'll be back on Christmas Day. If you want, that's Nate and I doing, we call it live alternate announcing. It's an alternate audio track and we are doing the Thunder Rockets game, which is pretty exciting. And you can also follow me on Twitter, Daniel Rue, that I'm generally pretty good about putting my stuff up there. I'm not really good at mentioning it other places, so that's a good way to do it. And that is enough for now. We'll see what crops up over the next week. I will do a Real GM Radio every week, as I do, but I don't know what the topic is yet, so we will cross that bridge when we get to it. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
2: struggling with alcohol or drugs recovery centers of america can help the holidays are over the new year is here and the time to act is now expert private care at recovery centers of america will get you on the road to recovery today so call 1-888-RECOVERY now at our fully accredited world class treatment center in monroeville pennsylvania you will be treated with compassion dignity and respect by our dedicated team of professionals Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.